Welcome back to Airway First, a podcast from the Children's Airway First Foundation. I'm your host, Rebecca Downing. My guest today is Autumn Henning, speech-language pathologist, certified oral facial myologist, and international board-certified lactation consultant. Autumn graduated from the University of Kentucky with a master's degree in communication disorders and is an assistant professor with the Voluntary Faculty Series in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders at the University of Kentucky College of Health Science. She was also a founding board member for the ICAP. Autumn specializes in oral facial function and development throughout the lifespan. She has spoken at a variety of prestigious conferences and organizations, written articles, appeared as a guest on several podcasts, and trained thousands of professionals. You can find out more about Autumn on her website at chrysalisoralfacial.com. And now, here's my interview with Autumn Henning. Welcome to the show, Autumn. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to dive in today. Yeah, absolutely. So as we dive in, let's just start with one of the things that I find so fascinating about your particular practice um, the website is chrysalisoralfacial.com. Hard to say. <laughs> yep. um, it is hard, a little, little difficult to say, but the story behind it, I find quite beautiful and quite fascinating. And so I'd like to dig into that a little bit um, because on the website, you tell the story about a butterfly. Yeah. And I know that it, it means enough that not only did you put it on the website, clearly there's a nod to it in the actual name of your practice. So I'd like to begin there if we could. Yeah, definitely. So um, I treat orofacial dysfunction throughout the lifespan. So babies on up to um, adults and elderly even. And really there's, I've always loved butterflies and mm. our, our goal, our mission is to transform people's lives. Well, we don't do that alone. And so the story about the butterfly was about a man found a cocoon um, and saw a butterfly like kind of struggling to get out of it. And mm-hmm. he, you know, was trying to be helpful and cut the cocoon open. Well, the butterfly did get out, but it never flew because it needed to use its muscles and reflexes and strengthen to be able to fly. And so I like to always say, if I'm working harder on um, someone's health than they are, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. And so it's really about the transformation that, you know, no one can do it for you. And it is time, energy, money, effort um, to make that transformation. Great results don't just happen. Like we do not have magic wands. And so this is a conversation that I've had with, with many patients and parents over the years. And um, yeah, it kind of became the inspiration for our practice. And we see patients that are ready to do the work and mm-hmm. want to be here and um, get to see the benefits and their health and life changed. This beautiful transformation takes place. Yeah, absolutely. Really- yeah, and I I do think um, what I'm discovering through these you know various podcasts, I'm hearing this repeated a lot. I think people are surprised at how much work goes into the myofunctional journey. 
Yes. For a patient, you know, they think, okay, we're going to go in we're going to do some exercises and we're done. Right. And I think people tend to forget that just for one swallow, it's uses every, all of the body systems, um, over 26 muscles, six of the mm. cranial nerves. Um, and so like, we just take it for granted because, you know, we eat and chew and swallow and talk um, right. without thinking about it, you know? And so these are little muscles and they're very intricate. And so it is a lot of work. And not only that, it's not just one time, it's consistency because that's what makes changes and patterns. Um, and so it is a commitment and it is a process and it's not like, you know, going to the dentist every six months. It's, it's, I mean, we see patients weekly. Yeah. Um, we find that if we kind of space out visits, accountability, momentum, it all kind of slows mm, and then right. it takes longer in the long run. So we kind of stick to weekly just because, you know, we think that's a good, a good time frame. It keeps people in momentum and accountable and yeah, but sure. it, it is, it's definitely, it's definitely work. Now we like to make it a lot of fun and we mm -hmm. have a good time. <laughs> right. But it is work, it. right? Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and you touched on this and you, you talk about it a little bit more on the website, which we'll put a link to in the show notes, but you talk about, you teach your patients how to breathe, posture, swallow, and speak correctly. Mm -hmm. And posture, I mean, that one completely jumped out at me. Yeah. As far as, you know, as, as you're going through this process, you don't think about that. How does yeah. that impact your myofunctional? Right. So, function. you know, I think we think of posture as like shoulders and neck. Mm -hmm but we forget that our mouth has a posture to it as well. So almost more important um, than the function we do with our mouth eating and talking is what it does at rest. So where our tongue sits, our teeth together or apart, our lips open or closed or clamped or um, our cheeks engaged or relaxed, all of those things because where the pressures and forces of your mouth are directed mm -hmm. changes the shape of your face airway um and move can move teeth when you think about orthodontics what does that do that's pressures and forces on your teeth and your jaws and um the whole cranial um area and so mm -hmm. we have natural ones too and so that's really what myofunctional therapy is about is directing and balancing those natural forces in a positive manner. Okay. Now you mentioned in there, the posture of your mouth. And, and I've actually heard you mention this in, in a different podcast. When you talk about posture, you were one of the first people that I ever heard say your teeth were apart. You know, my whole life, I've tried to keep my mouth when I think my mouth is closed, your teeth are closed, but that's yeah. apparently not right, is it? Yeah, you're right. So usually when people's teeth are together, that's because they're seeking stability and the tongue should be up on the roof of the mouth, kind of creating like a little suction cup mm -hmm. and that stabilizes the jaw. And so we have what, what we call freeway space and that 
you know, is a couple of millimeters between your teeth when you're at rest. And so, you know, our teeth are meant to be together at the point of chewing, at the point of swallowing, and if we're doing a smile for a picture, right? Okay. Um, so it's less than like one to two percent of our day that our teeth should actually be in occlusion. Wow. Yet, you know, the dental world is all about the occlusion, right? Mm-hmm. And so I find that issues with occlusion often come from functional issues driving that. Okay. And what do you mean by that? So when you're, like I said, when your tongue isn't up, um, mm-hmm. you're, you're seeking stability and clenching teeth. And so with a lot of people think that, oh, I have TMJ or dental issues because my teeth aren't lined up. Well, it's really how you're using your mouth that changes the alignment. Okay. Got so it. it's kind of a chicken or egg sort of. <laughs> right. Okay. Understood. So exactly what is proper oral posture? I mean, you, you mentioned, all right, the tongue is going to be in the roof. Yep. So yeah, correct. Oral rest posture is lips closed or sealed, but not mm-hmm. closed or pursed um, okay. lightly together teeth, just a few millimeters apart. Um, the tip of the tongue should be right behind your top teeth, but not touching them. And then the rest of your tongue should fill the roof of your mouth. Um, so that's where it's supposed to be at rest that creates that homeostasis or balance. Wow. So, okay. Again, yeah, the, <laughs> t- the tongue should be behind the teeth, but not touching them. Mm-hmm. Really? Right. So it's a place called the incisive papilla. It's a little nubby spot right behind mm-hmm. your top teeth. And I always, I always tell my families, um, it's like when you were a kid and your sibling was really close to you and they were like, I'm not touching you. I'm not, (laughs) it's like so close, but not touching those teeth. Okay. Yep. Wow. And, and how, how do you, as a parent typically notice something like this or is, are are there signs parents can see? I mean, obviously you're not going to notice if the tongue's touching the back of the teeth or not, but what signs as a parent can you look for, especially in an older child? So, yeah, I mean, um, all of these, it's interesting how a lot of things come back to myofunctional issues, right? Mm -hmm. And so we look historically, you know, um, did they have early feeding, breastfeeding issues, things like that? Um, Do they have crooked, crowded, misaligned teeth? that tells us that the tongue is probably not in the right spot. Are they a picky eater? Um, And so they're having trouble chewing certain textures or um, things like that. Do they breathe through their mouth or snore? Mm -hmm. Um, That's a sign that things are not developed well. There's an obstruction, um, whatnot. So there's lots of signs out there that can relate back to the mouth. It's so interesting how um, the way we use our mouth affects things that are seemingly not related. Right. That you don't think about like picky eater, for example. Yeah. Yeah. How does that correlate? So, you know, typically, um, oftentimes it goes along with tongue tie and when the tongue can't control the food well, 
what happens is kids get anxious, they gag because they can't move the food appropriately, or they spit food out, or they learn to like swallow it whole. Um, and so these kids have these bad experiences with a certain texture or type of food, and then they start avoiding it. Um, and we, we tend to think of it like, oh, they just don't like it, or they're just being picky, when really it's an actual physiologic issue. And so, you know, I, I always like to find the why, why, you know, mm -hmm. it's not just that we just don't like that. Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes. Um, yeah, so that's usually how we see picky eating manifested. Got it. And that kind of also relates to the swallowing because I've heard that is another sign, you know, when they look like they're struggling to swallow. Right. Yeah. If, if they're using head movement and moving their head forward as they swallow or pursing their lips or squeezing their cheeks or um, kind of grimacing as they swallow. Yeah. That can definitely be a sign that, you know, pressures and functions are not balanced. And so they're they're compensating and using other ones to move that food back and down. Gotcha. Gotcha. And we'll go ahead and put a, a, a link to, and we'll list a few, but we'll put a link back to, to you on some of these signs that they can look for. Um, Listening to Airway First with today's guest, Autumn Henning. You can find out more about the Children's Airway First Foundation and our mission to ensure that every child has access to screening, evaluation, and treatment of all children's airway disorders before the age of six on our website at childrensairwayfirst.org. You can also find a ton of great resources for parents on our website, including videos, blogs, recommended books, comprehensive medical research, and more. As a reminder, this podcast and the opinions expressed here are not a medical diagnosis. If you suspect your child might have an airway issue, contact your pediatric airway dentist or pediatrician. And now, back to my interview with Autumn Henning. I didn't realize um, until starting this podcast that, and I'm sure other parents didn't either, tongue ties actually start in utero. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's not just parents. It is <laughs> professionals as well. It's amazing. So I teach a course, TOTS Training. Mm -hmm. um, it was the first continuing education course out there. Um for people working on oral function that was um, accredited and offered for CEUs. And something that I teach in there, it's amazing how many people are treating tongue ties and working with children um, with tongue ties and affected by them that don't know how it happens. Wow. And, you know, there it's just something you're just born with. Uh, and so the three-year-old in, in me says, but why, but how <laughs> you're not just born with it. How does it happen? And so it's about weeks five to seven and the floor of your mouth and your tongue is essentially one structure. Okay. And what happens is if you can imagine 
like plastic wrap or saran wrap around mm-hmm. those structures, that plastic wrap grows downward and that creates the frenulum and that, that dictates how long it is. Okay. Um, so that helps with the range of motion. And then part of that saran wrap, it's called the ectoderm, um, dissipates and just like dies off so that um, your frenulum should not be attached to the tip of your tongue. And so it's both of those components because some people have tongue ties attached to the tip, mm-hmm. but have really long frenulums and great range of motion. Right. And then some people have tongue ties that are attached further back, but it's very short and not great range of motion. And so it's both of those that, that really dictate how the tongue and the frenulum functions is that apoptosis and that downward ectodermal growth. And so, yeah, that happens around five to seven weeks. Um, And then the tongue also helps to form the palate. So these Mm -hmm. babies that are born with high narrow palates, oftentimes it's related to a tongue tie because the palatal shelves actually, um, how they they come together is determined by the upward pressure of the tongue Mm -hmm. and the upward pressure of the tongue is kind of its landmark. And so if it's not feeling that pressure, it's going to continue to go together and be very narrow and high. And so, yeah, it's, it's a huge, it's very interesting. And, you know, I work with a lot of new moms and they're like, is there anything I could have done? Did I eat something wrong? And, you know, this is happening at five weeks. Most people don't even, may not even, don't even realize mm-hmm. yeah, five weeks. And so, um, yeah, I find it really interesting. And that just goes along with that. Even if someone has a tongue tie release, at birth, right? Mm-hmm. Early, early on, they've still been sucking and swallowing amniotic fluid in the womb for months, right? For months. It. Right. So even early intervention, there is a bit of um, retraining and, and therapy that would need to take place. So let's kind of dig into that. I, I had a, a follow-up question that I'll circle back to. Sure. Let's dig it. Let's dig into that, that training. So you know, one of the things that we're advocating for at Children's Airway First is during that initial evaluation at birth, you know, opening the mouth, going up there, checking for that high arch palate. I mean, parents, many parents are surprised to know this doesn't occur, but open that mouth, look at that palate. Let's look at the airway. Let's see what's going on. Mm-hmm. If during this evaluation, uh, physician, midwife, whomever it is, discovers a tongue tie, what are the options? What kind of journey is this infant on versus let's say we find it at three years old? Yeah. I mean, I think it, you definitely fare better the earlier it's addressed Mm -hmm. um, just because we haven't had as many cascade effects or compensations um, or time pass. um, Right. Right. Developing those. So I think it's definitely better at birth. I think the issue is, is, the training. So, you know, those, those folks are more like structural, um, people, they're looking at the structure of the tongue and the palate and whatnot. Whereas as therapists, we're looking at the function of it and you really need both 
for a true diagnosis, because I say all the time, I don't care what your tongue looks like if it works, right? If it's not, if it's not impacting you negatively, then I don't care. Um, And so, yeah, I think earlier intervention and referrals need to happen. So if they're seeing signs, you know, um, a short frenulum attaching closer to the tip of the tongue, um, a heart-shaped tongue, um, you know, the high, high arch palate, mouth breathing, you know, I think there's like things that are definitely apparent. Then mm-hmm. I think that needs to be an automatic referral to someone that can look at the function and then kind of figure out what to do because just, you know, going for the surgical intervention and releasing mm-hmm. things doesn't mean it works <laughs> after. Right. Right. Cause there's still all the residual that has to be addressed, yeah. right. Retrained. Right. Got it. Understood. And circling back, um, you know, you, you, you kind of touched on, especially with new moms, I'll ask, you know, is there something I could do? Is there something I could have done differently? Yeah. Do, do, do we as medical professionals understand what causes tongue ties? Are we that far mm-hmm. along yet? Not fully. Okay. Um, we do. There are several studies that have established that, that there's a genetic component. Okay. So it is inherited. Um, it is an autosomal dominant trait. Um, and then also there's some epigenetic components, um, that can determine it. Um, very, very preliminary new research. Um, there was one study that came out um, during COVID in 2020. Um, the author, the lead author was Amitai, A-M-I-T-A-I. And it looked at folic acid supplementation during pregnancy. Okay. And the incidence of ankyloglossia. And it showed a positive correlation of using folic acid um, and tongue tie. Um, and the authors proposed that this reason is because of a genetic mutation, the MTHFR mutation mm-hmm. and folic acid is a synthetic form of a, a vitamin, right? The synthetic form people with that mutation have trouble processing. And so, um, there have been some groups and organizations that are recommending using folate instead of folic acid. Instead of, okay. Right. And, you know, tongue tie is in the midline. Mm-hmm. We take folic acid to reduce things like clefts, spina bifida, other midline issues. Right. And so, um, yeah, I, I think we're going to see a lot more information on this as as things progress, but you know, it's a really hard thing to study, I think, um, because it's happening in the womb. Right. Right. And so early. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, we're, there's so many factors, you know, that that genetic history and then, you know, potentially diet and things like that. So I think there's an interplay of factors. Okay. Got it. And I will do my best to find that study and I will include that in the show notes as well for people. Yeah. 
And then I personally just want to read it because that sounds pretty fascinating. Yeah. So looking at your blog, um, there were a couple of things that jumped out at me when you were discussing the myofunctional journey of a child. Um, Words are worth a thousand pictures and then abolishing the preferred provider title. Yeah. And uh, again, obviously there will be links in the show notes because I encourage people to go read both of these articles, but I'd love to touch on them a little bit here. Sure. So um, let's see. Yeah. Words are worth a thousand pictures. So I think as providers, we need to be very intentional with our words. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you mean by that? Choosing the correct words that are very, that are reflective of the process. So one example is with, with tongue tie, um, mm-hmm. a lot of times people are calling it a revision. All right. And to most of us, revision means to do again. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of these families are already worried about, you know, the tongue tie growing back or reattaching, or they've heard horror stories of a patient that's had to do it three times. And so I think I call it a release because that's, that conjures an image of releasing tissue, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't give that negative connotation of having to do something again or um, feed into those fears you know? And so, um, another thing I talk about is, um, instead of, you know, talking about pain medication, mm-hmm. I talk about comfort measures, right? Okay. It's kind of that psychological standpoint of like, we experience what we think. Right. Um, and so if you're talking yeah. about immense pain and, and whatnot, and what to do for that, I think patients have this negative um, expectation and they're like um, prepared for the worst. Now, I don't mean to sugarcoat things by any means. I'm definitely truthful and um, transparent with patients, but I think there there's, you can, you can definitely navigate things better with your words. Okay. I totally understand that. And then, Abolishing the preferred provider title. Yeah. Um, so I, I have to say before you answered this one, uh-huh. this one to me, I loved. I mean, the, I, I got behind this one 100%. Yeah, yeah. So there was this, this list years ago. It's not even like um, verified or, or monitored now, but... Mm-hmm. It was essentially a preferred provider list is what they called it. And it was parents that had a good experience at Dr. So-and-so's with a tongue tie release. And mm-hmm. so that person would go on the list. <coughs> right. Excuse and me. there was, there was really no criteria, no, no vetting. It was just, you know, anecdotal. This patient said they were good. Right. Right. And so the other thing that bugs me about this is, preferred provider makes me think of like insurance, like PPO network. Yes. Uh, And not, not all, all providers doing tongue tie releases that are skilled are 
in network or, Mm -hmm. you know, they may or may not be. Right. And so I don't really use this term, um, that word preferred. I don't prefer you. It's either I recommend you or I don't. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think a lot of parent groups and Facebook groups have that out there. And, um, you know, as far as factors deciding on who I recommend for a procedure Mm -hmm. and who I don't, um, I really have conversations with providers and really talk through what's important to me and my patients, um, you know, kind of where my philosophy is and kind of see what theirs is and what their education experience level is. And so the things that I look for is that they understand that there's multiple types of, of ties. Mm -hmm. Um, there's just not one presentation. It's not only, you know, the, to the tip heart shaped tongues. Mm -hmm. Um, they understand that it can impact lots of things and throughout the lifespan, it's job. It's not just about breastfeeding babies. It's not just about speech, but it's about the airway and sleep disorder breathing. Yes. Um, you know, how the, the dentition comes in and eating, and, you know, all the things that go along with that. So um, understanding kind of the impact that can happen. If you're going to do a release, do a release. Let's not clip a hangnail and, you know, put someone through a procedure for an incomplete release. So um, looking at their work and, and um, talking through, like, what does a complete release look like? And one of the mm-hmm. questions I ask providers is, how do you know how far to go? When do you stop? How do you decide? You know, um, if the, um, if there are not stitches placed, they understand that something needs to be done to make sure that heals correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't understand basic wound healing, they shouldn't be doing a procedure. And then they're, right. yeah, they're really a um, team player and understands that function Um, Just because you fix the structure doesn't mean the function is fixed. Um, And so, you know, really kind of drives home with their patients that, you know, the release is a part of the journey, not, not the whole picture. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, supports that evaluation of function and that follow-up. When some of this research is pointing towards genetics, for tongue ties. Um, again, I, I, I get it's early, but does that support the fact, do you see tongue ties often in families? If you see one kid and you know, the, they have five, maybe two or three of them are likely to have that or two to three are likely to have some sort of a myofunctional issue that needs to be addressed. Is that kind of what you see? Yes, absolutely. And honestly, like that's my practice. Um, and that's why I treat the lifespan is because these things do run in families. Very rarely do we only see one family member. So what happens is, you know, um, it, it just depends who enters the system first, but (laughs) so I have one family right now. Um, two years ago, they were having trouble breastfeeding. I saw the baby, there was a tongue tie. We did all the things and got that baby to breast and doing well and gaining weight and whatnot. So then she, the mom says, okay, my husband needs to come. 
he snores and he grinds his teeth and, you know, because I educated them on how tongue ties shape the airway and, you know, Mm -hmm. later on can cause these issues potentially. And so now he's my patient. And then yesterday the mom called and said, oh, our daughter, you know, her tongue looks exactly like my husband's, our, our older daughter. And she got flagged in school for speech issues. And so here are all these different presentations in Mm -hmm. one family. And so, yeah, oftentimes we do, you are definitely more likely to have, um, another family member with a tongue tie if, if you have one. Um, and we do have research that says that as well. Um, yeah, so it's very interesting. Um, That is interesting. I should mention research is also pointing towards X-linked patterns of inheritance. So more common in boys. Um, so yeah. Hmm. Okay. And is it ever too late to get a tongue tie released? No, I don't think so ever. I, I see patients into their sixties and, um, yeah, it's never too late. Um, it's more of like, you know, we've had it for a longer time. So oftentimes we have to do more to overcome it. And because the tongue shapes the palate and the airway and, and um, all of that, sometimes there's other things involved that we have to do, not just therapy and a tongue tie release. Sometimes it's orthodontics. Sometimes it's a jaw surgery. Sometimes mm. it's getting, you know, tonsils out or a deviated septum fixed. Um, and so it's just more involved is what I say. So right. definitely easier and more straightforward. The younger. Young. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Which is, which takes us back to that first evaluation at birth, actually opening the mouth. I know it's wild. I've even, you know, I've even had kids that are having trouble feeding and I'm the one to discover a cleft. Wow. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like how many, how many providers have, are, have supposed to looked in this child's mouth, mm-hmm. you know? And here we are, you know, a few weeks later and yeah, it's, it's wild. Um, but I, I think it definitely comes back to like training. Um, and oh, yeah. absolutely. Education training. And one of the other things that we're huge advocates for community focused, right. Kind of yeah. back to the preferred provider from a different light, from the insurance perspective, you might have a pediatrician. But that pediatrician also works with this gamut of, of a team, you know, that does include your airway centric dentist, your myofunctional therapist. There's so many others that for, for me, part of one of the things that, that that article you wrote sparked was the preferred provider in that term. Mm-hmm. It's to me, there's this shift that needs to be taking place so that you know, the people that are trained can get together and talk to each other and, oh, here's what I found yeah. and, oh, here's this. And, you know, so we're looking at, at the child holistically. Right. And I, th- I think there's so many challenges to that because of, you know, insurance and reimbursement and, mm-hmm. you know, there are very few private pediatric practices. 
right? Because they've all been kind of taken over by the hospital systems. And a lot of the hospital systems have policies that you have to refer in house Mm -hmm. and within their system instead of, and I just think that's terrible because that's, you know, my job is to refer to the best person for, for your, your patient, right? Mm -hmm. Whether they're in a system, out of the system, in network, out of network, whatever it is, that's, you know, my job is to the utmost care of the patient. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's some of the barriers to developing that community as well. And it's well, kind of with that in mind, then how do you guide parents to bridge that gap? Yeah. Yeah. And I think they already are. Um, You know, I think talking on some of the groups, the Facebook groups and Mm -hmm. support groups and things like that. Um, A resource that I have for families, I um, have a directory on my website. And so um, instead of taking your chances with, you know, a random dentist or a random speech therapist, go look on that directory, type in your state or your, your area and see who's on there near you. At least, you know, they have knowledge of tongue ties, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's, it's a little less going in blind. And so I, th- I think, yeah, doing some of the research, things like this podcast is, is really cool. And, you know, reach out to us. Um, I get messages every day on, on Facebook, Instagram. Um, hey, do you know a therapist in my area? Hey, you know. Do you know an ENT in my area? Um, You know, who should I see first um, for this issue? Things like that. And usually if I don't know anybody, I can find someone who does. (laughs) Awesome. That is awesome. What I'd like to just kind of open the floor at this point for you. Um. Speaking to parents or to medical professionals, I mean, what at this point, kind of where we are with tongue ties, what we know about them, where we need to go as far as, you know, to do the best for children, what would you like to say? What would your final thoughts be? I am really about creating a standard of care because there is lots of controversy and one provider says this and another provider says that. So I think, you know, more well done research um, can help us there and really bridging the medical structural and the functional communities. Um, Like I said, like it really needs to be a co-diagnosis and, you know, in other fields, orthopedic surgery, they don't do knee replacements without prescribing physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Why is that different for the mouth and something that is so musculature, so much, right. so much musculature is involved. And so, you know, I, I think, yeah, I think that's, that's where I would like to see it go. Um, a lot more collaboration um, and yeah, emphasis on both roles and components. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I absolutely appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was great. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about 
Children's Airway First Foundation mm-hmm. and all that you guys are doing. And, you know, this is this is a key component to that advocacy. It is, absolutely. Much to today's guest, Autumn Henning, for sharing her medical insight. And to each of you for listening to today's episode. If you're new to our podcast, please don't forget to subscribe. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please remember to leave a review or a comment about what you enjoyed most. You can stay connected with the Children's Airway First Foundation by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you'd like to be a guest on an upcoming episode, shoot us a note via our contacts page on our website or send us an email directly at info at childrensairwayfirst.org. And finally, thanks to all the parents and medical professionals out there that are working to help make the lives of kids around the globe just a little bit better. Take care, stay safe, and happy breathing, everyone.